Well, good morning, Vaughn Forest Church, and uh, to those online, I uh, just want to welcome you. So glad that I can be here with you again today. Um, if I haven't had the opportunity uh, to meet you yet, my name is Adam, and would love uh, at some point today uh, to meet you. But I'm really, really glad uh, to be back with you. This is my fourth Sunday uh, that I've been with you guys. Um, I was here last August for one Sunday. And then a few weeks ago in January, I was here for a couple of Sundays. And here I am uh, back with you today and so glad of that. And I, I did miss a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't here a couple of weeks ago. So I do want to say happy 30th uh, birthday to you, Vaughn Forrest, uh, as a church. I know that um, that day of celebration was a really great day for you guys and celebrating all that God has done throughout your existence and leading you and guiding you and sustaining you. And I know that it's also, it also was an all, just a, a wonderful opportunity to look forward uh, in hope of all that God will do, what, for the next 30 years uh, and beyond that. So, so happy birthday uh, to you as a church. Today is going to find us in week two of our Pursuing Purpose series. And I just, as we get started into this today, I want to remind us of a couple of different things. The big idea for the series, and then, of course, the, the theme verse for the series. The big idea, we all have big questions in life, and God's Word has answers to our questions. And we'll see that very clearly in the text we're going to look at today. Uh, but then also let me read our theme verse to us, Ephesians 2, verse 10. That says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Last week, in um, introducing and leading off this series, Chad answered the question, who am I? Which, of course, is the big question of identity. This week, we're going to look at the question, where do I fit? And this is the big question of belonging. And so to do that, to get to the bottom of this, to answer this particular question of where do I fit what, in this big question of belonging, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. So if you would, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today. Truth is, and I think we, we all know this just inherently. We were made for relationship. We were made for community, for belonging, for connectedness. As I mentioned, today is my fourth Sunday total that I've been here with you. But it's the first Sunday that my wife, April, has been able to come with me. And she's in here somewhere, um, I think, anyway. Um, you'll want to meet her. She, I promise you, she is infinitely more likable than me. I, I'm dead serious about that. Yesterday was April's birthday. And so last night we got to come down uh, to Montgomery and celebrate her birthday. I know some of you guys, y'all told me today you go up to Birmingham to celebrate anniversaries and birthdays and stuff. Well, you know, we come down to Montgomery to celebrate. So uh, yesterday was her birthday and we drove down here yesterday evening. But yesterday morning, as a family, we celebrated April's birthday. And I've mentioned this to you before. There's, there's six of us in our family. There's April, me, and then our four daughters. And one of the birthday traditions that we have on each person's birthday, so we've got five throughout the year, we've got five birthday girls and one birthday boy. Um, but on each birthday, 
we go around and every, the five whose birthday it is not that day will go around and share just what they love and what they appreciate about the birthday girl or boy. And that's just our way. I mean, we've, we've done that for years now. And that's just our way of sharing with each other, of encouraging one another, of thanking God for that person, of saying, I'm glad you were born. I'm glad that you're still alive, and I'm glad that we belong to each other. Because, y'all, it's, it's what we were made for. Relationship and community and connectedness. And now as we look at this parable together, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we're going to take it in two parts. And I hope it's okay. I'm ripping off one of your core values uh, to do this sermon today. But the phrase, life is better connected, likely sounds familiar to you. And what we'll see in our passage today, we're going to see two main ways that life is better connected. So if you're using, uh, filling in the bulletin notes this morning, these, these will be the two main points and then we'll fill in the rest of the outline here in just a bit. But I just want to, I just want to share these two main points with us real quick of life is better connected. First of all, life is better connected to God. We'll see that in verses 25 through 29. And this is about, when we're talking about this, life is better connected to God. This is about what belief in the gospel does to us. Okay. It connects us to God. We're reconciled to God. Through faith in Jesus, we're made right with God. We're adopted into his family. That's who we are. It's, as Chad talked about last week, it's our identity. Life is better connected to God. And then secondly, the second main way that life is better connected, life is better connected to others. And we'll see this in chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. So if life being better connected to God is about what belief in the gospel does to us, then life being better connected to others is about what belief in the gospel does through us. As those who have been saved by grace through faith, we are responsible for living now as eternal citizens of heaven. This means that we are to connect ourselves to others in such a way that it demonstrates the glory, the beauty, the kindness, the compassion, and the love of Christ to the world. So that's our two main points there. Life is better connected to God. Life is better connected to others. Now, let's, let's dig deeper into this. As we see, first of all, life is better connected to God. And to see that, we're going to look at verses 25 through 29. So let me read this, Luke chapter 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, this is a dialogue in these verses we're going to read that leads us into the parable, the story that Jesus will tell. So let's read this, starting in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, so the point that I'm arguing is this. 
Life is better connected to God, but what we must recognize is that if we are to be connected to God, first of all, this is the, the first subpoint in your outline on your notes, we must come to Jesus humbly. We must come to Jesus humbly. Now, what we have here in these verses is an example and of... And, and you can show things in a couple of different ways. You can provide a positive example for show somebody the way things ought to be done, or you can show somebody a negative example to show them, hey, don't do it this way, do it a different way. This, what we're looking at, I think it's pretty clear, it's a negative example that's showing us if we're to come to Jesus humbly, this is not how you do it. Because look at what happens here. What we have here, I just want to see us, uh, I want us to see a couple of things in verse 25. First of all, we have here an expert in the law. That's it. That is, it's the Old Testament law. Now, I may refer to, at some point during this sermon, I may refer to him as a religious leader. I may refer to him as an expert in the law, or I may just call him a lawyer. But this is who we're talking about right here. He's an expert in the Old Testament law. This man's livelihood was understanding, interpreting, and explaining the Old Testament law to the people. So that's who we're dealing with here. But look at what he does. If I'm talking about the need in order to be connected to God, to come to Jesus humbly, this is the opposite of that. This man questions Jesus in order to test him. That's not a humble approach. It's an arrogant approach. He's trying to set a theological trap for Jesus. He believes he knows better <clears throat> than Jesus. And listen, y'all, this happens so often in the Gospels with these religious leaders, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, these experts in the law. It happens so often. They try to catch Jesus in some ethical, moral, or theological trap based on the law. And guess what? No surprise, Jesus beats them every time. And you would want to feel sorry for these guys, but they just won't get it. They just won't stop. They keep coming. And here's what he does. Here's the question that this lawyer asked to test Jesus. And this question, questions of eternal life are of the utmost importance. But the question that this man asked makes no sense. And I'll explain why. Look at what he says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This question ultimately is important in terms of its content and eternal life but it's nonsensical in terms of what he's actually asking. Two things, I, I just wanna state the first part of it in two different ways. What must I do? To say it another way, what must I do? He's making it about himself. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If you remember a few weeks ago when I was here and I was preaching on battling busyness, I uh, read just a, a little snippet from an old, old hymn. And you may not remember what it said. It, part of it said this. Part of what I read said this. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Because the reality is, the truth is, for each and every one of us, as it concerns inheriting eternal life, it is not about what you do, but about what Jesus has done for you. 
We must get that. An inheritance is bestowed not because of what you do, but because of who you are and who you belong to. So if you are connected to God by faith in Jesus, what Chad said last week about our identity is true of you. So I'm not going to re-preach his sermon, but to restate the list that he gave last week. You are perfectly loved. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are never alone. You are justified. You are victorious. And if that's you, then you have been made an heir of eternal life. You get it? You've been given eternal life, not because of something that you could do, but because of who you are, because of what Christ has already done. So to ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life makes absolutely no sense. But he's trying to trap Jesus. And so we see from his negative example that to inherit eternal life, we must come to Jesus humbly. To be connected to God, we must come to Jesus humbly. And secondly, we must respond to Jesus appropriately. We see that in verses 26 through 29. Remember, the lawyer tests Jesus with the question of what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus replies with another question. It's an interesting question. Jesus says, all right, if we're going we're gonna to take it there. What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? Remember who this man is, right? He's an expert in the Old Testament law. So Jesus drills straight into this man's supposed area of expertise. And listen, Jesus does this not to show the man up, but because he wants this man to see his need of grace. He wants this man to see that he needs something more than what he thinks he can do or all the good deeds he can do to make himself right with God. So Jesus says, what is written in the law? And look at how the man answers in verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. It's a really interesting answer. Because the man, to no surprise, quotes from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18 right here in in, in answering Jesus' question. What's interesting about this is Jesus has given the same answer. If you look at Matthew 22, another circumstance when Jesus is being questioned by religious leaders, he's being tested by them, and they ask him the question, what is the greatest command? And Jesus' answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus finishes that up by saying, all the law and the prophets... Depend on these two commands. In other words, he's saying every law that you could read, every law that we find in the Old Testament, either falls under the category of loving God or it falls under the category of loving others. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. And that's the answer that this expert in the Old Testament law gives Jesus right here. And look at what Jesus says in verse 28. He says, you've answered correctly. Now, at this point, you've got to imagine, 
This expert in law is feeling pretty good about himself. And he's probably going, well, yeah, of course I'm right. I knew that. Of course I answered correctly. Listen, sometimes there's far more to life than just knowing the right things. You've got to be right. Or to put it another way, you've got to be made right. He knows the right answer. Right now he feels so far so good. But then here's the kicker. Jesus finishes his statement by saying, do this and you will live. Uh-oh. Trouble. There's an issue. Do this and you will live. Hopefully this hits us like a ton of bricks. Think about this. Love the Lord your God with all, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Meaning in all ways, at all times, with all the right motives, never for a millisecond straying from perfect obedience. Not even to mention loving my neighbor as myself. All. Anybody there? Jesus says, do this and you will live. Brothers and sisters, for our own sake and for the sake of this expert in the law, just imagine, just go with me, if we could somehow go back in time and stand there with this expert in the Old Testament law and stand there with Jesus and we're the, we're the third will just watching this happen. And we hear the experts answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we hear Jesus say, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Everything in us should be like, like I can just see it standing behind Jesus, like just waving at this guy going, just say you can't. Just admit that you can't do it that you don't have what it takes. Confess because you just wanna go, Jesus is right here. He's ready to save you. You can't do this. You can't do it perfectly. The way it's gotta be done to be connected and in relationship with God. Don't you wanna plead with the man just to go, just, just say you can't. The same is true of all of us. To admit to Jesus, I can't keep this command in the way that it must be kept in order for me to be right with God. So Jesus, I need you to do it for me. That's not what happens though, is it? Because look at how the man answers. Verse 29, but wanting to justify himself, wanting to justify himself, wanting to make himself right. He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So what's happening here? What's happening in this moment with this verse 29, with what this man says, and wanting to justify himself, and who is my neighbor? 
what happens is the lawyer realizes that he's guilty. He realizes that he's caught himself in the trap that he set for Jesus. He's guilty and he knows it. Jesus is leading him toward grace, but he just can't see it. And so like so many of us do, you know what he does? He moves the goalpost. He lowers the standard in order to establish himself as a good person. His question is simply this, who is my neighbor? It's going, all right, if we could establish who actually constitutes a neighbor for me, then I can love those people and therefore fulfill that command. So there's gonna be some over here who are my neighbor, some who aren't. But he's lowering the standard so that he can justify himself. And don't we do the same thing? How many times in our life have we got caught doing something and we confess to the minimal amount of what we've done? I know that um, Chad quoted C.S. Lewis last week, and guess what? I'm going to do it again today. I mean, it's, he's really smart, and it's just so easy to do, and he says things so clearly. <laughs> but he said, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. You ever notice that about yourself? I mean, think about New Year's resolutions, for example. I mean, it's February 18th today, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, how many of you had a New Year's resolution that you no longer are living out? And you're like, I, I'm gonna be better in 2024. I'm gonna exercise, I'm gonna eat right, and that's gone out the side door. No man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. I, I think back on my own seminary days and going into seminary and being like so excited about the opportunities to study theology, to study the Bible, and to sit under these professors. And you get into class and you get into your, into your semester. And it's just so exciting because you're sitting there and you're just soaking in all this information. And you're learning so much and you're thrilled about it, but then something hits you at some point, and really it's pretty early on when it hits you as you learn all this stuff, and then you're, you're learning it, and then you're trying to regurgitate it to other people so that they can learn it too, but then something happens as you're sitting there listening to your professors who have been doing this for decades and who will forget more theology than you will ever learn, and you're sitting there and you're going, there's so much information. I'm sure this is true in other fields as well where you go, I'm learning all this stuff. And one thing it hits me so hard is as I learn more, I realize there's so much that I still don't know. And there's so much that I will never learn and that I could never learn. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And you realize in those moments, I'm trying to be really good. I'm trying to learn a whole lot, but man, I just can't. I just can't. It's just too much. Isn't that what we want to say to the expert in the law? It's just too much. You can't. So just give yourself to Jesus because it's not too much for him and he can. Life is certainly better when we're connected to God, but to receive that connection, to be reconciled to God, we must come to him humbly and respond to him appropriately which means give myself over to him. 
And our second main point that we're going to see, life is better connected to others. All right. So back to verse 29. It's going to lead us into our parable of the Good Samaritan. Wanting to justify himself, the expert asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so like the first part that we just looked at, where the lawyer asked Jesus a question, Jesus turned it back on him with another question. Jesus is going to do the same thing. So the guy asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus is going to turn that question back on him. But to do that, he's going to tell a story first. And it's this parable. Let's read. I just want to read the parable to us, verses 30 through 35. It says, Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. It's a beautiful picture of love, of compassion. It's actually a pretty scandalous picture of love and compassion. But what we see in here, as we talk about where do I fit, how, where do I belong, life is better connected to others. And if we're going to be connected, here's what we must do. We must love others intentionally. That's what we see in verses 30 through 33. Because let's just consider this. What are the responses that we see in this parable? The priest and Levite, who are fellow Jews of the beaten man, the priest and Levite whose profession was found in religious work and they were, had different responsibilities but in, essentially were in terms, uh, were, were uh, respons- responsible for carrying out worship in the temple. They were intentional, weren't they? But they were intentional about passing by on the other side, about having nothing to do with this and probably in their own minds were justified in doing this. Because they're going, if I go and help him, if I touch him in any way, I become ceremonially unclean. And so they pass by on the other side. But then Jesus speaks about a Samaritan. Someone of a, of a mixed race. Someone who would have been absolutely hated and avoided by the Jewish people at all times under normal circumstances. As a matter of fact, the beaten man who was left for dead on any normal day probably would have hated this Samaritan and avoided him at all costs. But here's what, we, here's what we have happen. The Samaritan came up to him, completely the opposite of the priest and Levite, came up to him, had compassion on him. He didn't avoid him no matter the cost, no matter the personal risk. And there was personal risk involved in this because perhaps this is like the, you know, the spot for this band of robbers. 
they may come back. He's risking his own personal safety for this. But but we've got to see this. Compassion and love is intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. You'll never just slip up and love people. The church isn't like a Bob Ross painting. Bob Ross, anybody? There is no such thing as a happy little accident when it comes to loving other people. You get it? We don't slip into it. It's intentional. We must love others intentionally. Secondly, if we're going to be connected to others, we must love others sacrificially. It cost us something. Look at, the, look at the Samaritan. Consider him again. Verses 34 through 37. He bandaged the man's wounds. He poured on olive oil and wine, which apparently served some medicinal purpose at that point. He put him on his own animal, which means he's no longer riding. He's walking now. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And the next day, all right, the next day, which means wherever this Samaritan was going, he stopped what he was doing, stayed the night to take care of this man. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now, there's something important to note about this. Two denarii would take care of about two weeks worth of lodging for this man. Two weeks worth of lodging and care for this man. And the Samaritan says, whatever's left over, if there's any extra that you gotta pay when I come back, I'll pay it. Which means this, this man who was staying, who was being cared for now by the innkeeper, say he stays there six weeks, say he stays there 10 weeks, he's now in debt to the innkeeper. And the way you pay off debts at this point in time, is you essentially enslave yourself to this person. He would have to enslave himself to the innkeeper so that he could work off his debt, however long that would take. But look at what the Samaritan does. He preemptively sets him free from slavery because he says, whatever is left over, I'll pay it. I'll pay for his immediate care and I'll take care of any debt that's left over. Just make sure this man is taken care of. It cost him something. This is a great inconvenience for the Samaritan. Y'all, think about the people in your neighborhood, at your job, in your small group, the visitors who show up here on a weekly basis. Your love for them must be intentional, must be sacrificial which follows right in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so Jesus, in this parable and in this whole conversation with this expert in the law, he's leading us and teaching us, wanting us to see that true love, intentional and sacrificial love originates in him. It's not something that we can just muster up on our own. It's something that comes from him. Listen, listen to this. I just want to read 1 John 4, 19 through 21. And I got a, I got a boogie, okay? We got to go. 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So to be like the good Samaritan in being connected with others through intentional and sacrificial love, you must first embrace the love that God has for you. We love because he first loved us. And quickly, I just want to share three takeaways from this. Three takeaways. Where do I fit? What is, it, what is the question? How, how do I belong? What does it mean to belong? Life is better connected to God. Life is better connected to others. So what do we take away from this? First of all, I want us to see this. And this is absolutely crucial. God's grace is greater than your activity. God's grace is greater than your activity. If you look at the context of the entirety of Luke chapter 10 and what's happening in the whole chapter, there's stuff that happens before the parable of the Good Samaritan, things that happen afterwards. They kind of sandwich this event that we're looking at today that help us to see truly what's going on here, that God's grace is greater than your activity. Before this parable in Luke chapter 10, it's where Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to preach and minister in the villages before he would go there. The disciples, they preach, they perform signs among the people, they go back to Jesus amazed at what has happened through them and they tell Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says this, in Luke 10, just let me read it to you. Luke 10, 18 through 20. I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, listen to this. This is his point. This is what he's aiming for. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you get it? Don't rejoice in all that you can do. Rejoice that you have received the grace of God by faith and that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in that. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what you can do. And then right after the parable that we just looked at, we have the story of Mary and Martha, that Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They enter a village. They enter the house of a woman named Martha, and she welcomed them into her home. And Luke 10, 39 says, She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered Martha, 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 you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. Brothers and sisters, God's grace is always greater than our activity. It's always better than our doings. His grace is greater than that. So just give yourself over this morning to God's grace Second takeaway, don't look for neighbors, be neighborly. Don't simply look 
for neighbors. Remember the lawyer's question. Who is my neighbor? Like, who are the people that I'm supposed to love? Remember, Jesus then tells the parable and then he follows it up with his own question. Verse 36, which of these three, this is Jesus asking the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Yet again, the lawyer is trapped in the trap that he tried to set for Jesus. Jesus flips the script on him by letting him know this. This is so important. Loving his neighbor has more to do with being a neighbor than it does with trying to figure out who your neighbor is so that you'll know who you have to love. Do you get that? Jesus says, quit trying to figure out who your neighbor is and just be a neighbor. Be a neighbor. And when you are a neighbor, what you will find is that everyone is your neighbor. Everyone you come in contact with is your neighbor. True neighborliness has far more to do with love, compassion, and sacrifice than it does with proximity, ethnicity, familiarity, similarity, or comfortability. That's what Jesus is aiming at here. Quit looking for your neighbors and trying to figure out who do I get to love and who do I not have to worry about. Be a neighbor. Just be a neighbor. And love others intentionally and sacrificially. And then third takeaway as we finish up, understand the demands of love. In looking at the Good Samaritan, it's clear that love is intentional, it's sacrificial, it's costly, it's dangerous, it's kind, it's gracious, it benefits the recipient. But it also becomes clear, and I hope it would become clear to us today, that Jesus is the ultimate Good Samaritan. Do you see it? He saw us left for dead in our sin, but he came to us. He had compassion on us. He took care of us through his perfect obedience. He ensured that we would never be enslaved through his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. And it's through him that we are connected to God by faith and connected to others in love. So brothers and sisters this morning, as we prepare right now to sing a song of response, throw away, throw down your doing and embrace the grace of God. His grace is greater than your activity. It always is. It always is. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Not that you get to do all kinds of, even that you get to do all kinds of cool things for Jesus. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Understand in our belonging that life is better connected to God and life is better connected to others. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus, you've seen from this expert in the Old Testament law that we can't do it on our own. We needed somebody to do it for us and that's what Jesus has done. So stop your trying and throw yourself upon the mercy of Christ. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus and he is ready to save you today. I or one of the pastors here would love to speak with you about that. Also on your connection card, there's, there's a place where you can fill out that you would like to know or hear more information about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Don't leave here without doing that today. But let me pray for us and then let's respond 
to God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your grace, for your love. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way. You are the end of all of our efforts. You are the end of all of our trying to justify ourselves, of being right in our own eyes. So Lord, help us to trust in your grace today, to know that life is better connected to you by faith in Jesus, that life is better connected to others in love that is intentional and sacrificial. So Lord, help us to respond, to come to you humbly, to respond appropriately to you today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.